The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. sermon today is born to serve. Um, I'm trying to advance uh, an argument that the reason why God created us was for us to, to serve. And you know, in the first service, I started by saying that God is a God of purpose. There's nothing random at all about God. You know, if he created something, there is a reason for that creation. And that God is very deliberate in creation. And, you know, the story that brought that to life for me was in Genesis when he was creating. So Genesis 1, 14 to 17, when he was creating the sun, moon, and stars, he created them for three reasons. I mean, the, the biggest reason is to, to shine down on the earth. I said that's the biggest reason because if we didn't have the sun, we will freeze to death in maybe a week. Imagine that there is no sun, the whole earth earth will be frozen. So, you know, maybe that's the most important purpose. So, yes, he gave us the sun to, to ensure that we don't freeze to death. But then there was two other reasons why God created sun, moon, and stars. One was to give light, which is also important. Yes, so if there was no light, every day will be night. In short, we won't know when the day has started because we'll go from night to night to night. It will be a very depressing world. So that's a very good reason. But the third reason, which I found very interesting, and for me, I couldn't get over the fact that a God so big is so mindful of man, is um, in, I think, verse 14, the Bible says, let light appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. We've spoken about that. But it says, let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. That sounds to me like a calendar. So God created the sun, moon, and stars in order to create a calendar for us. A calendar. The maker of the heavens and earth was concerned about us being able to mark seasons and years. Because he's a total God. When he creates, he thinks about the simplest things 
and the most difficult things. Because he knows that there will be Mother's Day. He wants us to celebrate birthdays, Christmas, so that we'll have joyful celebrations. He created the sun, moon, and stars so that we will know when the new day has come. That is the God we serve, a God of detail. So if God is a God of detail, and the detail goes to everything he creates, why did he create human beings? I mean, I ask myself this question. Why did God bother to create people that will bomb themselves? Why did he bother to create people that think of evil as soon as they wake up in the morning? What's the whole point in creation? But he had a reason. He's a very purposeful God. And there are many reasons that he created us. But we'll quickly mention three today just to make sure that we're on the same page. So if your own reason for God creating, God, um, for God creating man is you say, oh, God created man for his pleasure. You know, because the Bible says in Colossians 1.16 that everything was created through him and for him. You would be right. That's a reason why God created us. We were created for his pleasure. It is our job to bring him pleasure, to worship and to praise his holy name. But there's another reason why God created man. And if your own reason is that God created us for his glory, because actually the Bible says in Romans 11.36 that everything comes from him and exists by the power and is intended for his glory. You also will be correct because that is another reason why God created us. Another reason is to reconcile others unto him. And we find this in 2 Corinthians 15, 18 to 19. Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 to 19. When you read this verse, you can also deduce that God created us in order to be able to reconcile people back onto him. And that flows nicely into what we're doing this year as a church. Our objective for 2015 is to do our possible best, everything we can possibly do apart from sinning, to connect people to Christ. You know, so again, that's the purpose for which we're created, another reason. But if I was going to take all these three reasons and many more that I haven't thought about, but you know, and break them into two, two reasons why God created us, just on, only two, I'll summarize them into, number one, God created us to serve him. And number two, God created us to serve him by serving his people. So the first one is easy for us to understand. I mean, that's the reason why we're in church today. We all know that we're created to serve God. We all have, at some point in time in our lives, felt some emptiness without God. There is an emptiness in man that only God can feel. And I don't need to preach to the converted because we know that's why we're here. We believe that God completes us and that therefore we are to serve him. I'm happy we're on the same page with that. But the second one is the one that we struggle with. It's that I strongly believe that the reason why God created us, the second reason, is to serve him by serving his people. And what am I basing that um, theory on? Basically, why should I? I'm answering a question in your heart that it's saying, why should I serve God's people? Why? How is serving God's people serving God? And how come I was created to serve God's people? Why would God create me because of that? Um, I, I, I'll talk from three verses in um, scripture that has made me believe that that's why God created us. And the first verse would be Ephesians 2.10. 
And my deduction from that verse is that from the beginning of the world, even before I was created, God created me for good works in his, in his church with his people. The Bible says we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. So my first reason would be that that's God's plan. The second answer to the question, why should I serve God's, why should I serve God by serving his people, will be that I believe, and the Bible says that ministry is for everyone. There are no special Christians. There are no super Christians. You're as close to God as you want to be. So everyone is born and, and um, predestinated for ministry. And the ministry is very wide. It doesn't mean you have to come on this stage and talk. It might mean, but it might mean you are there to help people pack. But you are there serving the needs of God's children. Why do I believe ministry is for everyone? Because the Bible says so. In First Peter Four verse 10. The Bible says God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Everyone, everyone in church, everyone that is born into Christ was created for ministry. That's what God says. And then the third one is a little selfish, but it's true. If you want to get ahead in life, and if you want to get ahead in the kingdom of God, the secret to it is to serve God's people. It's, it's that simple. And the Bible says this in Mark 10, 43. Jesus himself said it. In Mark chapter 10, verse 43, the Bible says that Jesus said, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there are three answers to that question. Why should you serve God by serving his people? The first will be that that's God's plan in the first place. The second will be that you are created for ministry. Everyone is. There is no barrier to you, you know, you know serving God. And the third one is if you really want to get ahead, if you want to get to where God has called you you know, two, you need to serve. Jesus himself came and he served, even though he didn't need to. But he showed us a fantastic example. If you agree with me, and I'm going to take that assumption, that you all agree that what I've said from the scripture is correct so far, why then don't people serve? If we all know that that's the way we can get ahead, if we all believe that we're created for ministry, why don't people serve? And in thinking about this, um, came up with nine reasons from my experience and from the experience of others why people don't serve. And I also came up by the grace of God with scripture, what the Bible is saying to people that fall into those different categories. So we'll go quickly into, into um, these reasons. There are nine of them. We'll start at number one. The first reason is that people say, I can't serve right now because I'm too young. And it sounds ridiculous, but people say it. And I'm not only talking about teenagers, I'm talking about people that are old enough to know exactly what God is saying. They say they're too young. I'm in university right now. It's time for me to rock. When I finish rocking, and I start walking, and I will now join the workforce in church. Now it's time to play. I'm too young to be serious like those people serving God. 
I'm too young. God, I probably need to have served God for about 20 years before he starts talking to me. That's not of God. Because if we look at God's example, what he did in the Bible, God really used very young people to serve him. Jesus was 12 when he went into the temple with his parents. And for three days, he was talking about the scripture. Three whole days, a 12-year-old boy. So let's even say Jesus was the son of God. So let's say he was special. Even though the Bible says he came and he became flesh like us. Let's not use him as an example. What about Samuel? The Bible doesn't say exactly how Samuel was, how old he was in 1 Samuel 3.10. But there is a um, historian that says that he was sure Samuel was about 12 years old when God started talking to him. Okay, so let's say we don't even know his age. Let's use another example. We know for sure, because the Bible says so, that Daniel and his three friends were teenagers when they were taken into Babylon. So when Daniel started his ministry, he was a teenager. Age is not a deterrent. David was, was a teenager when he was anointed. There is no excuse for you as a young person to say, I don't want to serve God yet. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, 12, and I said earlier, I'm from the teenage church. We use this verse a lot. You know, the Bible says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Start your work now. I was talking to one of the ministers in church yesterday, and she was giving me an example when she was in secondary school, and said um, she knew of a 12-year-old and 13-year-old in the school fellowship at that time that had started casting out demons. It has nothing, the spiritual has nothing to do with your age. It has to do with your trust in God and your yieldedness to God. So the time is now. Get up and serve. Age is not a deterrent. The second reason is closely linked to this, but it's the opposite. Some people say, I'm too old to serve God. You know, so they, they've worked hard all their lives. They've retired, and they really want to retire in church as well because they've retired in their private life. We understand that you've worked hard, but there is no retirement in God's kingdom. Actually, when we retire is when Christ calls us home, home or at rapture. There is no retirement. Why do I say this? Moses and Aaron were 80 and 83 years old respectively when God told them to go and start talking to Pharaoh. They were old. We would say they were old, but God was just starting with them. Joshua was around 80 years old because it was about 30 years that he led the charge you know, of all the conquests. He died at age 110. Um, Joshua 24, 29. We can just write it down and read at home. So if he died when he was 110 and he did this for about 30 years, we can, we can deduce that he was 80 years old himself. Exodus 7, 7 is the verse for Moses and, and Aaron. Daniel served God from when he was a teenager for about 70 years of his life. As a matter of fact, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, that Bible verse that we're all very familiar with, it was over 80 years old. And in active service, of his father. Daniel's story can be found. Daniel 6, 4, 27. There are many more old people that were serving God in the Bible. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. The Bible doesn't say how old he was in Luke, but the Bible says that he was advanced in years. But the Bible told us about the age of Prophet Anna. Prophet Anna was 84 years old in Luke 2, 36 to 37. But the Bible says that every day, even at that age, and she'd been doing it for years, she was still praying and fasting every single day of her life 
at age 84. So, we thank God for the wisdom group of this church. They are inspirational in showing us that because you are older, doesn't mean you shouldn't serve God. They're very active. They're all active in the, in the kingdom of God. A round of applause for the wisdom group. But as we've seen from the example of Joshua, there's no retirement, eh? All of us will walk until we're 80, 90, 100, 110, if the Lord tarries in Jesus' mighty name. So we are not too old to serve God. The third example is an example that I feel comfortable talking about because I am concerned. Um, it is that people say, I'm single. This is the time for me to look for a husband. After I marry, then I will serve God. I'm single. This time, you know, I have to sit down, look pretty, my makeup in place. I cannot be running around church, moving chairs and ushering. You know, when I marry, like all those other people as well, hey, I will now join the choir or I will join, you know. They set themselves target as if being single is a state that you should be self-conscious about or you should put your life on pause because you are single. In the Bible, we have many examples of people that were single but still actualized their destiny. We'll talk about Jeremiah. We'll talk about Apostle Paul. Prophet Anna as well was single. John the Baptist was single. Maria, Moses' sister, was single. Jesus Christ was single. Yet they all served God in their different capacities. They didn't put their life on hold because they're single. So I have a question for single people in church today. If you wait until, if you think that, oh, okay, I need to wait. If you can't serve God now, when is it that you think you can serve God? Is it when you have three children and you have to give them a bath before you come to church? I gave an example in the first um, worship experience that when we get to church, workers in, in this church get to church before seven. I get to church, I've dragged myself. I'm still doing my makeup in the car. And I look in the next car and I see children under the age of 10, maybe three children under the age of 10. Their mother has woken up, given them a bath, fed them, fed their father, one clothes for them, put them in the car. And these children are still busy making noise at 7 a.m. Meanwhile, me, all I had to do was take care of myself and I dragged myself to church. If you can't serve God now, when you are single, when do you think you're going to serve God? Now, in this church, single or married, we will serve God regardless. It doesn't matter. And, and again, I said it earlier, happy Mother's Day to the mothers in this church, to the women, single or married, but a special happy Mother's Day to the mothers that are workers in this church. God bless you. God bless you. You do a fantastic work. Um, I was saying that there are even some people in the Bible, e.g. Apostle Paul, they were actually encouraging people. He was actually encouraging people to stay single so that they can serve God more. And in the first service experience, I said, I don't agree with him, but this is what he said. In 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 35, Paul says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a, man who is no longer a woman who is no longer married 
who has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibility and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So here Paul was saying, stay single. That the best time you can serve God is when you are single. Yet you are saying, because I'm single, I can't serve God yet. You are holding yourself back from stepping into your destiny because of a temporal state. So to the singles in this church, it's not even in this church that will give that kind of excuse. But if there be a single person in this church that feels self-conscious about that state, don't be self-conscious about it. You will marry if you want to marry in the mighty name of Jesus. And you will marry even by doing God's work. Rebecca in the Bible, when she met the person that introduced her to her husband, was she playing? She was fetching water. She was actively working. God will bring your husband to meet you doing his own work in the mighty name of Jesus or your wife in Jesus' mighty name. So being single is not a reason not to step up and do the work. Number four, and this is a very valid reason. All of them are valid. They're just not true. Um, I want to serve God, but I'm too busy. I have a day job. In short, I have two jobs. And by the time I get, I get back home, I'm really tired. It's not time for me to get up and start working again. I'm a busy person. I fly from this place to this place. I have meetings. I have conferences. I have seminars. When I finish my job at work, you know, I have to now do my private work so to make ends meet. You know, after all, in church, they talk about fight and offering. If I don't work, where will I get fight and offering from? And this is the reason why some people don't step into the workforce. And... I'm not blaming them. I can't stand here and cast aspersions on anyone. That's not the intention at all. Yes, it's true you are busy. Yes, it's true that, oh, by the time you get home, it's late. But there are people in the Bible that showed us an example of how they worked hard, yet they still served God. The disciples had day jobs before they became disciples. Um, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen. You find that their story in Matthew 4, 18 to 22, Mark 1, 16 to 20, Luke 5, 1 to 11. They had a fishing business. They were partners. Matthew was a tax collector. And let's even say, okay, these are extreme examples because these people became full-time workers. They were devoted to ministry. So maybe that is not a tenable reason to you. But there were people that the Bible says ran home churches but still continued their business. And I'll give you the example in Acts chapter 16, verse 13 to 15 and 40, we're talking here about a woman called Lydia of Thyatira. It's on, the, on, it's on the screen. The Bible says one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. What we know of those times, the Bible times is that purple was a color of royalty. So for her to be selling expensive purple cloth, she was, a, she was selling only to the creme de la creme of the society. She was not just anybody. She, was, she would have been wealthy and she was very connected. Let's go on. So um, who worshipped God? As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what, what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized 
and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Verse 40. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. We read this verse to show Lydia, a woman of no small means, very influential, very, she was running a very good business, still had time to serve God by serving his people. From verse 40, you realize that she had a church in her home. So yes, you run, you do, you walk from 6 a.m. Some people leave their houses at 4.30 a.m. to get to work. It's true. Yes, you leave your house at 4.30 a.m. It's true. You don't get home until 11 p.m. You are right. We empathize with you. But I'm here to tell you that even with that, for you to actualize your destiny, you need to serve God's people. Because if you don't do that, how then can God take you to the next level? Number five, and it's easy for us to fall into this trap. When you come to um, God's favorite house, I've invited people and when they come to church, the one thing they tell me, apart from other things that they say, one thing that is common amongst all of them is that they say that your church is like a well-oiled machine. Everybody knows exactly what to do. When you come in, you know, everything just flows. The workers just fall in place. You guys are doing a great job. And it's true, I agree with them. Workers in GFH are doing a great job. I mean, pastor says it, and it's not a lie. We have the best workforce in the world. Give, it, give yourself a round of applause. It's true. It really is true. You have to see what they go through to understand what the work they do. So it's easy for you to come to church and go. They already have it figured out. There's no need for me. Every time I come to church, I see ushers now. There's no time that they don't have ushers. And the choir, there's no space for them on stage self. That's what you think. But your spot is missing. You have something you were created to do. When God created you, there's something he put inside you that was for the use of, for the kingdom. That thing that you are supposed to do, it's still missing in our workforce. It looks as if we, all, we have it all figured out. And by the grace of God, we do. But join us. Join us so that you can actualize your destiny and that God's work can be propagated more. In the Bible, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. I have no idea how many people there were alive at that time. But we know that today there are over 7 billion people on the surface of this earth. We don't have up to 7 million workers or 7 billion workers. We need you to step into your destiny. We need you to stand up and join us as we take the world for Christ. We don't have enough workers. And when I say this, I'm not saying this as an advertisement, and I said it early, for, for HR, or that church is looking for workers. No. I'm only saying this from a different perspective, from your perspective. For you to realize that that thing that's been holding you back from stepping to your destiny is not really a valid reason. There are lots of people working, but when you join us, the work will even be better. Everybody, says, everybody say with me, your spot is empty. Stand and fill that spot. Amen. God needs you. We need you. 
There's something special only you can do and we're waiting for you to do it. Amen. Number six reason is one that I, I can relate to and I'm sure a lot of us can relate to it. And it's the reason why a lot of Christians never really do what God has created them to do. Because every time they hear a sermon like this or they, they don't even need to hear a sermon like this. Every time they come to church, something inside them says, step up and do work for God. But then they hear a voice on their inside saying, you, you want to do what? You, that everybody knows you at Smoky Lala. You smoked all the cigarettes in the world. You that when they enter a bare parlor, they know your name. You want to serve what? Be what? Go on stage. But I don't go there before heaven falls down on your head though. That voice is not from God. God doesn't condemn. The Holy Spirit does not condemn us. That voice is either from your mind, you condemning yourself, or from the devil. Your past cannot bring shame to God. God is God. Nothing can disgrace him. And he knew about that past even before he called you. Guess what? He was there when you were doing all those things. And yet he still saved you. He doesn't care about what happened to you 20 years ago or even yesterday. He doesn't care about that nickname that everybody calls you. It doesn't matter to God. Stand up and serve. It is in serving that you get your deliverance. Guess what? If, you want to, if you've just given your life to Christ and you want to do certain things, so let's say you... I don't know, you like clubbing and you womanize and you've given your, yourself to Christ and you want to stop doing all those things. One of the easiest ways to stop doing that is to commit to the work of God. There are just some things you won't be able to do again. Nobody will be there, but something in your spirit will be telling you, ah, I know you are going to church tomorrow and you'll stop doing those things that you used to do before. What am I saying? Your past cannot embarrass God your past is not, is, is not of any consequence in where God is taking you to in your future. As a matter of fact, he wants to use your past to bring people to Christ. It is when you stand up and you fulfill your role in ministry that people will come to church and say, for that girl to be in the choir, me too, I can do this born again thing. And that's the reason why he has saved you. So stand up and forget about your past. Why do I say this? There are scriptural verses that you can hold on to. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. You are a new person. Who you were yesterday, that person is dead. The new person you are today is brand new. You do not carry the, 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 the um, challenges of the past or the crutches of the past anymore. You are new now. Walk in that new reality and stand up for the work of God. Another verse that encourages me is Jude 1.24. Because there are other people that fall into this category that their own problem is, okay, I want to serve God, but what if I black, backslide? What if I follow them out today and I go and preach? Oh, then one year later, I backslide. Wouldn't that be embarrassing to God? My message to you from God is that don't worry. You will not backslide. The one that created you and saved you will hold your hand until you get to the promised land. 
in the mighty name of Jesus. And I say this not because I'm dreaming it up. I say it because it's in the Bible. Jude 1, 24 to 25 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The Bible says, and we believe, that God is able to keep you from falling and is able to keep you faultless. So you don't worry about that. Just take a step of faith and stand up and serve God's people. Your past doesn't matter anymore. It's all gone. You're a brand new person now. In, praise God. Um, example number seven, and we're going to nine, we're almost there. Is that some people don't serve God because of their status in the society. And I'm not laughing at these people because and I'm, 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 not, I'm not talking to, about them anyhow because it's, it's true. They, their status in the society de- um, determines how they behave. So even though under normal circumstances they want to stand up and be jumping in church whilst everybody's praising, they're a bit self-conscious because how can a minister of the Federal Republic of Nigeria be dancing anyhow in the presence of God? Even if they wanted to to come to church and serve. You know that um, when God takes us to where we're going, our lives will change, Abby. You know know that you won't be able to drive yourself anymore. You know that when God takes you to where you're going, and I'm looking at everybody's faces as I'm saying this, so that when you get there, I'll remind you that you met me one day in God's favorite house. When God makes you a minister, when God makes you a governor, when God makes you a president, I'm not saying amen. Okay. (laughs) When God takes you to places you never thought you would get to, when planes, when they dedicate one private jet for you and you will get there in Jesus' name, when it comes to the point that you have your personal assistant has a personal assistant who has another personal assistant because you are who God has taken you to, (laughs) it's going to happen. When you can't pick your phone for yourself, when people call you and somebody else has to pick your phone, do you know how difficult it is it will be to come to church to wash the toilet. It's easy for us to serve God now because he hasn't taken us to where we're going. These people, their daily experience is that they have orderlies. They have assistance to the orderlies. They can't even carry their own bags themselves. When they try to carry their bags, people run and say, let me carry it. And they're not doing eye service. That's their job, to carry the bag of the madam. When they become like that, it's difficult for you to, remember, to be able to serve God. It's not that they don't want to serve God. It's just difficult because the society has put constraints on them. My message to people like that, and it's to you because you are all going to be like that. You are going to be rich and prosperous. Is that we should remember that we were bought by price. You actually don't belong to yourself anymore. So even though the people of this world call you the federal, a minister of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, and when they address you, they say, Your Excellency, sir. There is the real excellency. That excellency lives in the heavens and the earth is his footstool. That excellency paid with the blood of his son for your life. You don't belong to yourself anymore. So if you are in that category that you can't serve God because of the society, because of the restrictions society have put upon you, take off those restrictions by your own self. Tell them, I will wash this toilet eh? because uh, God is taking me somewhere greater. And if I don't serve him now, how will he promote me? 
I encourage you. It's easy to serve God before you make money. <laughs> but I'm encouraging you because I know, because God has said to us that we'll have victory in every part of our life. That this is the time to get the mindset right. Do not let society put pressures that are unnecessary on you. And even if they do, take it off. No matter how important you are, no matter how where God is taking you to, purpose in your heart that you will serve God by serving his people. Everybody say amen. 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 The eighth one is the one all of us can relate to. I want to serve God here. Eh? But please, the drama of church people is too much. Let me just come in, sit down, listen to the sermon, and I'll leave immediately, they say, the grace. I don't want to make any friends. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to serve anybody. Their wildlife is too much. Before you say this, they've done that. Before you look at them, they've, all of us have been there. I've been there. And there are times when you're in church, and somebody does something so irritating. And he said, you are just thinking, if I wasn't in church, eh? What I would have said to this person? Or sometimes what goes through your head is, it's not your fault. Shebi is church that has put all of us together. It's true. But it's true. It's also true that it is church that has brought all of us together. And like I said in the first service, this church that has joined all of us together will not scatter us. Guess what? The reason we get upset when people upset us in church or, you know, there's church drama, the reason we get upset is because our focus is on the people we're serving. Actually, the reason you're an usher and you're serving people, telling them to sit down, is because you want to serve God. Your master is actually God. So when that person comes and you're telling him to sit down here, because that is where, you know, the next, and the person looks at you from top to bottom and looks at you from bottom again to top and goes to sit somewhere else. And instinctively, you want to get upset. Don't get upset. He's not the one you are serving. The person you are serving has given you pass mark and has added to your inheritance. The Bible says in Colossians 3.24, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And the master you are serving is Christ. The master you are serving is Christ. So if you are worried that church people will give you drama, that's the reason why you don't want to get involved with church, change your focus today. The person you are serving is Christ. It doesn't matter what drama they give to you. Let, even, let me spend a minute and talk about that drama. Because it's easy for all of us to sit down and say, mm, church people are funny. But then church people are human. When we become, when we give our life to Christ, we're still human beings. We still have the issues we had when we were, before we gave our lives to Christ. The only difference is that we are now walking towards becoming transformed and becoming like Christ. But we're still walking towards it. We're a work in progress. We're not there yet. We're not perfect. So when somebody is coming and you think the person is eyeing you, the person might really not be eyeing you. The person has issues. She has to pay rent. She has to fuel the car. She has to buy diesel in the generator. She probably hasn't had light for days. She's upset, but it's not with you. She's just upset. So when the person comes and the person gives you, in quote, attitude, focus on the person you are serving and show love. It's not all about you. People have different issues, and that's why they've come to church. That's why we have to show extraordinary love to people. There is no drama in church that will stop you from walking. Step up and take your place. 
Come and support the work of God. Amen. Um, the ninth reason, the last reason, is that people hold themselves back because they have physical disabilities or they think they have limitations. So it's not as if they don't want to work, but they say, um, okay, God is calling me to join the choir, but I stammer. So maybe I shouldn't join because that stammering will, will disturb everything that they're doing in choir. Or whatever it is that the reason you can give yourself. God is saying to you today, I created you. I'm aware of your limitations, yet I'm still asking you to serve me. Serve me and I'll take away those limitations. We'll use the example of Moses. When God called Moses to go and talk to Pharaoh, he described himself as not eloquent. Actually, let's read the verse. Moses in Exodus 4, 10 to 11 said, um, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue tied and my tongues get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, as the Lord is asking you today, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? God was saying to Moses, it doesn't matter what your physical limitations are. I determine what you will do when you, start, you step out in faith and do my work. And the story of Moses is very encouraging because even though God agreed with him that Aaron will be the one talking, if you go down in that verse, it was Moses talking. He said the same person that called himself a stammerer, when he stepped up and started doing God's work, that stammering was removed from him. And I don't even think he realized it. So visualize whatever that physical disability or limitation is. For some people, it's actually not a physical disability. They say, um, I'm illiterate. And in this church, they're always speaking English. So maybe they don't need my help. There are people. And I'm saying this because I've heard pastor talk about it. That there was a man that could not speak English, but under the anointing of God, would speak Queen's English. Because there's nothing God cannot do. Step out and do the work. Whatever your limitation is will be removed by God himself. Don't limit yourself because God hasn't limited you. He's calling you today to join in his work so that he can be released into your destiny. So, that's all I have for us today. As we bow down our hearts and pray, we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit himself will speak to our hearts. That he himself will tell us what we need to hear. So maybe none of those nine reasons are yours. Maybe your own, re your own reason for not serving is different. I don't know what it is, but God knows. And we're praying today that God himself will release you from the constraints you've put on that you put yourself under in the mighty name of Jesus. As we close our eyes to pray, I'm going to ask if you are if God has spoken to you today, or has spoken to you before, to join the workforce, that you should please raise your hand. If you've seen that there's really no reason for you to be limited, there's a hand in front here, the middle row. Someone raising a hand to join the workforce. Praise God. 
if you see that those limitations are no longer limitations, praise God, there are hands over there. We thank God. There's a hand at the back. Actually, three more hands. We give glory to the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your children that have been released into their destiny. Father, today we have learned that the reason we were created was to serve you and to serve you by serving your people. Father, we release ourselves today from everything that has held us back and we walk boldly and confidently into your purpose for our lives. And we ask in the mighty name of Jesus that as we do this, our inheritance, that which you have promised us.